male, female, masculine, feminine, or masculine, feminine, feminine, which was the title of a 1960s film by Jean-Louis Godard. I want to look at the way we refer specifically to male or female characteristics. How do we regard male and female energies? How are they understood and recognized by us as human beings? And how do we react to them? How do they affect us? It may be that some particular quality we regard as either male or female cannot be so easily attributed to a particular gender. We should also look at how those energies were regarded thousands of years ago, how they changed and how they might change again in the future. There is also the issue of how we can best understand and use these energies to make ourselves more integrated as individuals in our own particular incarnation, be it male or female. The female of the species is deadlier than the male. Is this true? It's a man's world. Is that true? Men and women, Adam and Eve, ladies and gentlemen, dear sir or madam, dog and bitch, stallion and mare, dexter and distaff, all these are terms that denote difference of sex. Women were once described as the second sex, or the weaker sex. These are terms to describe or define, so we assume there is a difference. Vive la différence! But is there one? And if so, what makes it so important? Are we dealing with the conflict of interests, or the attraction of opposites? So, one interesting thing would be to look at the proportions of people here. Is it a case that women are more interested in this subject? Am I talking about, the, uh, is the subject that I'm talking about the one that brings people here? Does it make a difference? Do I prefer to address an audience of women? Would I feel more comfortable with an audience consisting of all men? And it's interesting, of course, we're in a the bastion of maleness in a rugby club. <laughs> there we are. Do I believe that my status as a man automatically confers attributes of maleness to me? I repeat, what is male? What is a man? Am I a man or a mouse? So, can I ask for a volunteer? And I would like a lady. Don't all rush up. <laughs> Just for two seconds. There we go, lovely. <clears throat> All I'd like you to do is just stand next to me, if that's okay with you. Right. The fundamental differences between you and me. Okay? So, I'm a man, you're a woman. What can I do that you can't? Any suggestions what that might be? <laughs> now, what can, this, what can this lady do that I can't do? Bear children. It's it always the whole the whole talk is about sex. <laughs> Nurturing, caring, mothering, mother earth. Well, indeed, is the earth female? Is the earth female? Do we regard the mother earth? Why? What determines our conception of this planet as female rather than male? Thanks very much. <laughs> Some might say that the elements earth and water are feminine, and following on from that, fire and air are masculine. After all, air and fire represent, respectively, intellect and action. But cannot women be intellectual and active? Are those qualities exclusively owned by the male? 
the number of women writers and those engaged in sport or dance deny this. Conversely, earth implies security and growth, water, feelings and deep emotions. Men, we like to think, are in our, in our enlightened liberal age, are capable of tears. Though a previous generation might have considered the sight of a man crying as something cowardly or shameful. Nowadays men are encouraged to show their feelings. Real men don't eat quiche, as the saying used to go. Well, perhaps these days they weep copiously while they eat their Waitrose broccoli and Stilton special. There's a wonderful quote from a Victorian headmaster, which I think is vaguely relevant. I like a manly man, a womanly woman, but I cannot abide a boily boy. Sex. Uh, here you are. <laughs> In the earliest societies, it's doubtful whether the uh, jolly fun bit that leads to the other bit happening after some months were actually ever connected in their minds. Now, by means of artificial insemination, men are not actually required to be present at the moment of conception. So, have these terms now just become concepts? The idea of being male or female has replaced the actual experience of being either one of these. The EastEnders bloke, Victoria Beckham, Jordan, television and the rest of the media has done its best to replace reality with an artificial version of experience. Think artificial insemination and same-sex relationships, homosexuality, lesbians, gays. Some members of these groups wish to deny the existence of the opposite sex. This is not liberation, it's simply a big mistake. Feminism in extremis is as perverse as the cult of monasticism with its undercurrent of denial and the despising of women. In pagan culture, they did not discriminate in matters of sexual behavior. Who did what, with you, who, and how many times? Well, that was cool. And why, particularly now in the super-aware, technologically advanced 21st century, is the question of relationships between men and women so acute? If there were no anxiety about questioning of this issue, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you now. You'd be saying, what's the problem? In fact, some of you may be thinking that this very moment. My bloke mows the lawn, I do the dishes. So let's look at the traditional qualities attributed to the male with a complementary quality assigned to the female. So I think you'll get the idea the male comes first. Protection, so the female is nurturing, hunting, gathering, speaking, listening, thinking, feeling, logical, intuitive, analysis, synthesis, contributing, containing, discipline, mercy, industry, pleasure, firm, soft, up, above and out, in, under, down, warmth, coolness, doing and being, boundary and merging, yang, the sunny side, yin, the shade. Now you see the weakness of such lists become apparent when one adds on the male side strength, independence, courage, authority, steadfastness, reliability, instinct, even nobility, wisdom, reason, creative powers. But these are all virtues not exclusive to men and equally applicable to women. 
traditional attributes of the female such as passivity, gentleness, sacrifice, love, pleasure, intuition, forgiveness, generosity. Can some or even all of these terms be applied to men? Yes, but what is one talent that can never be acquired by men? Now this isn't the same question as I was asking before. What's the one thing that men can't do that women say they can't? Give you a clue? It begins with M. Multitasking. Yeah. Right. How do men and women think? Now this is where I start to venture down a different path and find untypical examples of both men and women, such as Margaret Thatcher, Bodicea, Joan of Arc, Marilyn Monroe, Princess Diana, Tina Turner. In the world of myth, Nike, the goddess of victory, Diana the Huntress, the Valkyries, who in Norse mythology carried the souls of warriors to Valhalla, and the Buddhist goddess Tara, in different incarnations as the white Tara, the red Tara, the green Tara, depending on what mood she's in. And men, so look at some untypical men, Liberace, Julian Clary, Danny LaRue, Boy George, Oscar Wilde, Homer Simpson, Mick Jagger, Rudolph Nureyev, Winston Churchill, Einstein. Can any of these be described as typically male? Amongst gods, Zeus becomes a swan, in order to possess Leda. Osiris is cut into tiny pieces and put together by Isis to make the universe. Attis castrates himself. Atlas holds the world on his shoulders. So, back to our thesis. How do men and women behave? Or do they behave differently? Yes. Women like to drop hints to other women. That's how things get done. And to them, I think it's a tried and tested method of communication. Women don't like giving direct orders. That's not their way. The spaces in between is where the female energy lies. Now, men, if you watch a group of women, and you won't do it for very long because they'll soon they'll suss you out that you're doing it, just watch how they communicate. It's not what's said that's the important bit. Now, here's a male take on women. It's a passage in Jake's Thing by Kingsley Amis. Now, he was a notoriously misogynistic man, although a great lover in his early age, early age in his youth. And he was a pretty energetic womanizer. And he gave up sex at the age of 57. Hmm. But anyway, this is the post-57 quote from one of his books. Jake did a quick run-through of women in his mind. Their concern with the surface of things, with seeming to be better and to be right while getting everything wrong. Their certainty that a view is the more credible and useful for the fact that they hold it. Their use of misunderstanding and misrepresentation as weapons of debate. Their selective sensitivity to tones of voice. Their unawareness of the difference in themselves between sincerity and insincerity their fondness for general conversation and directionless discussion, their preemption of the major share of feeling, their exaggerated estimate of their own plausibility, their never listening and lots of other things like that, all according to him. But to balance that, I would quote Frenchman who said, and we can test your French here, 
le plus je vois les hommes, le plus j'aime les femmes. On translation? Or okay? <laughs> right. The more I see women, the more I see men, the more I like women. Away from literature, uh, let's consider more homely matters. The domestic animal, the domestic scenario. And I think this is one of the things that interests me about the differences between men and women. Wifey says, I wonder what it would be like if we painted the hall. So the husband immediately is on the phone ringing up, you know, getting the pots of paint. But she didn't mean that. It's just a two different approaches. It's, I, I'm speculating, I wonder what it would be like if we repainted the hall. But the man takes it into his head that it's got to be done straight away. It's got action has got to be um, the next thing. So we look at the definition of gender. There are gender studies in this society. Gender stereotyping leads to, well, basically more gender stereotyping. If you deliberately reverse the stereotypes and make boys play in the Wendy house and girls play at soldiers, you end up with just as much of an artificial situation as the one you're trying to change. And it's been proved that kids just get fed up with it. Another interesting site I discovered, as well as John Gray's Venus and Mars, is the Harmony of Sexual Archetypes. This site lists 63 versions of gender variations, combining asexual, androgynous and hermaphrodite in every possible permutation, like semi-demi-quavers. It was an American site, so I noticed it didn't include the wonderful Bristolian expression for a bisexual. Anybody know this one? A double adapter. <laughs> it's simply a question of the changing role of the male, is it? The hunter. Not an essential task these days in Western civilization. Try it. Get a bunch of blokes together, each one with a spear, bows and arrows perhaps, and march off into the nearest shopping mall intent on killing a moose. They don't exist. Then squat outside that handy cave at the foot of the mountainside and roast your kill. It sounds unlikely, doesn't it? but there's still a vestige of that desire to hunt still exists in the male gene pool and is passed down to each succeeding generation. For what purpose? Perhaps men hunt money now rather than they hunt wild boar. Women like to invest in jewellery or houses. Men make do with investments. In the 19th century, with industrialization, a male concept came. People like Keats, Shelley, Byron, the romantic poets, despised the authoritarian factory culture. For them, feelings were the guide to truth. They were not supporters of the Age of Enlightenment, a philosophy which values reason over emotion. Dictators. They're often confused with holy men, but there's one big difference, a denial of responsibility. It is relevant here to mention spiritual masters those saint-like demigods that New Agers make acquaintance with upon the astral planes. Now why are they always male? Power is the motive here, and these unbalanced superhuman archetypes are worthless for any male spiritual development. The ego is taken over. It's here that traditional religions, which do not always deserve our condemnation, offer a much more positive foundation. The classical world has borne certain male archetypes. The warrior, the king, 
the wise man, the priest, and the fool. These are well defined in a book called Celebrating the Male Mysteries by R.J. Stewart. Let's have a look at them again. The warrior. So, the Knights of the Round Table, or the spiritual warrior in the Eastern tradition, that of Tai Chi. The philosophy of stillness and action. The knight also embodies gentleness and compassion, but in his negative aspect, he may be merely superficial. In the realm of female warriors, there's Morrigan, the terrifying dealer of death. The male, often throughout his existence, is engaged in a continual cycle of death and rebirth. It's a dangerous pastime for a man without, his, without him, without his mask, he may die. His insecurity is revealed when his role and purpose is taken from him. Contrastingly, females mature steadily and most see no reason or benefit in any cycle of crisis. Going on to the poet, he may be a musician, an artist, or a mag magician even. He has the power to alter mood. He has developed, perfected, and utilized that part of his consciousness which is female, the right brain, or even the right-on brain. In a very extensive historical study by Leonard Schlein, The Alphabet versus the Goddess, it suggested that civilization is always male as soon as a system of writing develops, which is a very interesting idea. The idea that as soon as you have things written down, you have rules and you have limits. If you think of the idea of the female is abstract, relies on pictures, as soon as you start to get um, a system where, a system of letters where you are rationally and with logic making all your laws, if you like, or all your society's rules, then you are pushing aside the intuitive and the female side. So things like tolerance um, and unity start to disappear. Look at a couple of the other ones. Prophet. So he may be the madman or the protesting voice like Bob Dylan, as he once was, the campaigner, the conscience. He may often be in pain, taking on the pain of others. He may be martyred or permit his body to be sacrificed. So the priest, he's the medium of divine power and the high priestess is the same. In the Egyptian tradition, she's the guardian of the mysteries. The king is the sacred symbol of power, as is the queen. Divine power and dominion brought to exercise his or her will upon earth. The doctrine of divine right and the ancestral line. Now these archetypal figures held the power structure in society until perhaps the end of the Middle Ages. When Shakespeare incorporates them in his plays, like A Midsummer Night's Dream or King Lear, he is doing so with hindsight. He is looking back at a world fast disappearing. That is the medieval world, one of superstition, magic and the unexpected, the uncanny, the bizarre. A time when fairies, witches, giants and earth spirits were accepted as simply being part of existence. The coming of the Renaissance did not entirely obliterate the pagan world but reason and order began to dominate and eventually stifle the intuitive, unpredictable, uncontrollable elements. These aspects become rapidly marginalized, were seen to be typical of the female cycle, sorry, the female psyche and the censorious attitude adopted towards them. 
In other words, women must be kept in their place. If they are not, they are seen to be disruptive, and at worst destructive and ungodly. A great deal of emphasis was placed on the institution of marriage and the essential part that it plays in a strictly ordered society. Neither lust nor innocent pleasure, such as the theatre, which was regarded with great suspicion uh, in Elizabethan times. There was an enormous um, move to close down theatres in Elizabethan times. And it's interesting that in London, the theatres were actually outside of the area that was controlled by the city fathers. So they didn't come under that legislation. If they had have done, they would have been immediately closed down. And they did their best to close them down under excuses such as um, health reasons, plagues and the like. But the theatre is a very interesting place in, in Elizabethan times because it's the centre of new ideas. It's the centre of the modern way. And it's also a place where men and women could congregate. One has to mention the persecution of wit witches, really another way of saying the persecution of women, personified in the moon and seen as representing all that is wayward and hostile. The moon has had many faces in many ages. In Celtic times, she, the lunar energy is tripartite, the maid, the mother, and the crone. But is that too limiting a definition? What about the princess, or even the prostitute? Where does she fit in those three divisions? And the other thing you've got to remember is women are not automatically in touch with a goddess state simply because they're women. Being female is not a guarantee of gleaning the benefits of female energy. It's a gender stereotyping yet again. Harmony is what we're attempting to acquire, and a harmony within the individual. In Meditation, for instance, gender does not define consciousness. If you go into a meditative state, you may become in line with a female energy or a male energy. And that's a state, obviously, when you are losing your conscious self. Given that all souls are one, and that during our past lives we have certainly been incarnated as either sex, there is a thesis that we choose to be either in a male or female body at the point of our conception. We are given the sex which is most useful to us for our development at this particular time, which is basically the theme of this talk, that thin, almost invisible line between sexual differences. Where's the, mad, the madam, madman, I mean, said, where does the madam of a brothel fit in? What's she doing? Should she be selling the wares of her sisters? is a whore feminine. Has she lost her femininity and is simply an adjunct to the male ego? Or, as an author like Martin Amis in his novel Money would have us believe, the porn star is the one who holds the power over the men who ogle at her. In the realm of the gay, yet more questions might be asked. Does the homosexual prostitute lose the assertive qualities of his maleness and become a totally submissive figure? Now what about the devil? Now the devil, male. Or is he? Black magicians conjure him up. So do witches. Medieval woodcuts have depictions of witches kissing old Nick's bum. But that may be fantastical propaganda. 
The current thinking is that witchcraft, sorry, Wicca, is okay. Devil worship isn't there. Oh, no. But what aspect of the male does Satan represent? It depends on what tradition we follow. Is he Lucifer, the fallen angel, the outsider, the rebel, the rather romantic lone figure, misunderstood, shunned and burdened with melancholy and his own retrospection, doomed to reflecting for all eternity upon his irredeemable fate? Or is he Pan, the earthy, potent, preapic wanderer in the forest, protector of animals, Sernanos, the horned one, of the cloven hoof. The natural enemy of the Puritan and all polite society. Or is he just plain, unadulterated evil? The absence of light. Is he Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Marcus de Sade, Harold Shipman, George Bush, Tony Blair? We are led into barren and bleak territory when we contemplate the extremes present in the male and female, perhaps believing that doing so will guide us towards greater understanding of the two. We will be better served considering that our attraction or repulsion is not the way forward. In any interaction of energy, male and female conception isn't relevant. They simply must be an, exchange, an interchange between two entities that contrast. You could have such an interaction between a man or a woman, or a man and his particular god, or a woman and her particular god. And we shall learn that gods are not necessarily masculine, feminine, or either. Does a conception of male and female energies derive from the sexual act, the idea of an active male and a passive female? During tantric sex, inner levels change. The male becomes receptive, the female active. In the Hindu tradition of the lingam and the yoni, neither dominates. It is simply the creative force. So, we continue in our search. What's it like to be a man? What's it like to be a woman? What's it like to be a duck-billed placipus? I was incarnated, me personally, one way. So I can only speculate on the other. I cannot truly know what it's like to be a woman, even though I've got an incredible imagination. I prefer the company of women to men, mainly because it's more exciting. You don't know what women are going to do next, and neither do they. <laughs> so, see, I can say these things and talk like that, can't I? So perhaps I know them a little better, or do I merely embrace the fantasy of believing that I know more of the female because I feel an affinity with the female? Who knows? It's all merely veils, the world of illusion, illusion upon illusion and we know that the world is female, don't we? Or do we? I am a speaker. I am a speaker, a teacher, a male authority figure. So, how do I act as a speaker? The important thing is to get the message across. So, for the best way to communicate, how do I dress? What body language do I employ? When I am preparing and writing this talk, am I passive and absorbing the message from the muse? Or am I asserting myself through the words that I write? Is it down to the creation of energy or the spark of creation making that energy? And aside about the tarot, I presume some of you know about the tarot? Yes, good, good. In the tarot, two of the most fascinating cards are the fool and the magician. The fool is poised on the edge of the cliff brimming with potential energy, while the magician 
purposely employs that same energy. In the rider pack, which is the uh, conventional pack that you probably all know, unlike the emperor and the empress, neither the magician or the fool is overtly male or female. could be either. If you're familiar with the major arcana, think of the principles that various cards depict and how they reflect aspects of the male and female. Justice, the star, temperance, the hangman, the devil, the chariot. They are all, perhaps, poised between male and female. In astrology, six of the signs are positive, the others negative. So, how is it for a man who's born under the sign of Cancer? or a woman born of the sign of Leo. How does that manifest itself? In esoteric, magical, new age matters, call it what you will. Always, the majority of people interested in these things are women. Healers are women in the majority. Tarot readers, clairvoyants, are more women than men. And their clientele generally women so what can we say from that that would a male interest in the occult usually take the form of a cabalistic group or a secret society formed for the practice of ritual magic conducted strictly to books to grimoires the predominant magical figures of the 19th and the 20th century apart from Alistair Crowley were women Annie Besant, Adam Blavatsky, Tion Fortune, and Alice Bailey. Both witches and wizards have an awesome fascination for the uninformed. But the witches, with hints of sky-clad and wild orgies, they're the ones that always attract the bigger headlines. It seems likely that the first object of worship would have been the sun. It also appears that the original belief system concerning the sun was that it was thought to embrace both male and female energies. And it's a very interesting idea, this, that those symbols that we naturally assume are either male or female, at one time, I don't think that society's made that difference. So, the idea of the solar deity then develops to include the child. So, it's a union of male and female. Now what's interesting is that the male principle remains unassertive. The child is not defined sexually, so it isn't a patriarchal notion. The era I'm describing existed some 13,000 years ago. Ages fall into periods of two millennia. The most recent matriarchal age, which was also an agricultural age, fell between 7,000 and 4,000 BC. There's a decrease in violence. Archaeologists don't dig up weapons of war from that period. They dig up tools of agriculture, but they don't dig up axes, spears and swords. If you go back even further, Herodotus speaks of an age when women went into the marketplace and men stayed at home weaving upon their looms. So it's almost as if there's no, there's no definition between a male-dominated or a female-dominated society. It just swaps around. Of Egyptian culture, Max Muller wrote, 
No people, ancient or modern, has given woman so high a status as did the inhabitants of the Nile Valley. The age of the queens gave way to the age of pharaohs. And what happens then? You get pharaohs, kings, you get slaves. So you get a male-dominated society. Matt, the goddess of truth, became the Eye of Ra, the god of the sun. The age of Taurus, which is a fixed female earth sign, gave way to the age of Aries, a male fire cardinal sign, and with it the age, as I said, of kings and slaves. It's when male domination of the female begins, and the age of Pisces, personified by the birth of Christ, appears at a point when the male energy is so overpowering that a radical change of consciousness is required. The time of Christianity, including the cult of the Virgin, which was returned to our original conception of the mother and child, brought a legacy from the age of Aries. The Christian and Judaic oppression of female energies was embodied in the Ten Commandments and its forbidding of idols and images. The tradition of Christ as a bringer of love was transformed after his death into a creed of sacrifice obedience and suffering. If you look at the Gnostic tradition of Christianity, which was the one that was replaced by the mainstream Christianity, it has a female energy in the Trinity, which is wisdom. There's a very interesting little aside here. I was reading a book by a man called Mud Murray, in which at the end of the book he describes a theory of his, which has been uh, taken up by other people as well, that Christ was never crucified and that he escaped the crucifixion and he went on to travel in Tibet and China and when Murray went and told his Christian friends about that they were all saying no 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 it's not but he was saying oh isn't this a good thing that he wasn't crucified and they were saying no 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 he has to be so you take it as you wish now the Aquarian age represents humanity and liberality. It's a sign of science, invention and discovery. But mankind needs to be curbed. We are rapacious and greedy, exploiting the natural resources of his planet to the extent that they are almost exhausted. The presence of Earth energies presents a cosmic democracy. They can be both male and female. And I've had some very interesting um, conversations with somebody in a place called Sedona in Arizona which I'm informed is the Glastonbury of the desert and it's not far from a place called Flagstaff and any rock and roll uh, fans will know Flagstaff from the song Route 66 um, it's the home this is Sedona not Flagstaff it's the home of the Hopi Indians descended from the Aztecs who journeyed to the four corners of the world and finally settled on the Colorado Plateau to the north of Sedona in this magnificent desert scenery made famous in numerous cowboy films by those incredible, what they call misas or butts, those great big things that look like uh, muffins, you know, those huge, tall things, fat things. They're vortexes and vortices of energy. The male energies are up and out, the female energies are down and in. Now, my informant there, who's informs me that these energies have the potential of sucking the unwary into the earth. And the quote she says is female equals suction hole. It is our task in this Aquarian age to reconcile the male and female both in heart and mind. 
we might usefully meditate on the mental images of the male and female and how they relate to each other and to those energies within ourselves. It is said that the female energy is magnetic and invisible, the male radiant. The brighter the sun, the darker the shadow. We are not seeking a bizarre, androgynous compromise. Women, although they are aware that male domination exists in all societies, and equality does not unfortunately exist in opportunities, wages, etc., should never make the fundamental mistake of trying to be men. Don't do it, ladies. Not a good plan. But men trying to be women. Hmm. Now that might be a step in the right direction. Thank you very much.